I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Pete Zayas. Pete, we did it. The Lakers employ a shooting coach. How about that? <laughs> hey. Good old Masters College's own up in Santa Clarita, I think. Yeah. Uh, Mike Penberthy. Yeah, man. Do you remember Penberthy as a player? Fun story. I'm, there's no chance he remembers this, but I actually got a shooting lesson from Mike Penberthy. Oh, do tell. Uh, well, it was it was not something that we scheduled or planned for. I was I I played basketball out here in in uh, Anaheim, and then up in Anaheim Hills there was a twenty four hour fitness that I would play. I was there probably five ish days a week. I would probably say when I was when I was in high school, and then you know when I graduated went to Cal State Fullerton. That became five or so days a week over there at Cal State Fullerton's rec center, and one of the it was during an off season. I think it was like in in August or so, and and I was just kind of shooting around. The, the gym was completely empty, and this uh, tallish white guy walks in, like looks like any other Orange County basketball player, right? Uh-huh. Um, and you know, he, he goes to one end of the gym. I was at the other end of the gym, and all I heard because it, it's this big cavernous empty gym, and it was just, and I'm thinking like, holy crap, this guy this guy won't miss. Um, and, and we're just kind of messing around or whatever, and, and um, he walks over. He goes, hey, I've been kind of watching you shoot. Uh, I, I played for the Lakers at one point. Would you, would you be interested in a couple pointers here and there? And I was like, are you MP3? And he goes, yeah, dude, Mike Penberthy. <laughs> nice to meet you. And he was a super, super nice guy. We probably shot for a good another hour or so. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really cool. It was completely unplanned. It was, he was super nice. You, I didn't even have to approach him. Like I said, he just kind of walked over and, and we shot for a good hour or so. And he's the auto, absolutely automatic. <laughs> it was great. You know, what was going on in his head on the other end. He's like, this guy's freaking jump shot is killing me right now. I have to do something <laughs> about this. I have to intervene before I have to watch this again. That was what was going on on his end. He, he asked. He asked if I wanted to switch. I was shooting left-handed. Are you sure you're not right-handed? <laughs> ben Simmons before Ben Simmons. <laughs> no, yeah, man. I remember when he was with the Lakers. Yeah. The Lakers needed some outside shooting, mm-hmm. and he was the like twelfth man. He made the roster. Yeah, uh, like in training camp, he wasn't supposed to be on the team, but played really well. And then he finally got some run and shot the pretty the ball pretty well over the course of a couple of weeks. And he shot well overall. But um, <clears throat> I remember Shaq just being like, hallelujah, like Shaq was a big <laughs> Mike Penberthy stand. And yeah, that was a fun bit of time. He didn't have the size or athleticism to really be an NBA player for very long. But he that dude does know how to shoot a basketball. That's for sure. Yeah, it was it was wild. And, and you know, to the point you and I make all the time when it comes to the training these guys get from somebody like a shooting coach, somebody like a player development coach, just the minutia of the things that that, you know, he's uh, man, this was forever ago. But one of the things that he was really focused on was so I when I used to shoot, uh, it's hard for, to show this in an audio format, but I would use my off thumb a little yeah. bit mm-hmm. just to get a little extra range out there. That and, happens. Yeah. And he said, "Well, you can do that, right? You you can do that, but you know, make sure if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, don't sit, don't stand so off 
like don't have your left foot so far in far in front of your right foot because if you're going to use your right because I'm left I'm left-handed uh-huh so and and you know my natural stance is to have my left foot in front of my right sure and he said if you're going to use your left hand or if you're going to use your off hand your right hand make sure you square your shoulders a little bit more because that that's going to allow that hand to stay on the ball a little bit longer interesting and he said that if like basically if I ever because the reason I did that was for for a strength, a lack of strength, right? Sure. He said sure. that if I ever, you know, if I ever do move my right hand off the ball a little bit more, that's when you can start to rotate your shoulders over a little bit, and you can sure. use the one half of your body. And it's just, it's something like that that I never really would have thought of. And and it's just the the level at which these guys think about the game is is super fascinating. It's really cool. That's why I try in my videos <laughs> to not. Like I'll share what I do know about shooting, mm-hmm. and I know a decent amount. But I know that shooting coaches, like there's a, there's a science to it that I really respect. That yeah. I try not to insult by being like, oh, I know everything about how to shoot a basketball. Like I'm, I'm more of a generalist in terms of of my knowledge. So yeah, it, it's really cool to have somebody like that in house. I would have loved to have that with the kids when they were there. <laughs> you know, just like Phil Handy, like we were talking yeah. about the other day, right? But. Um, but this is good. They're on to me. The the coaching staff is like one offensive assistant away from me being pretty happy with it. Yeah, I I just want a tactician. That's all I want. Give me yeah. an offensive tactician, mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. and we're set. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was really cool to see that he was he was super super nice guy. Comes over from New Orleans last year, by the way. Uh, was with the Pelicans, and so he's already comfortable with Anthony Davis. I'm not sure to what extent they work together, but we did see a ginormous leap forward for Julius Randle from three-point range last year, mm-hmm. both in terms of number of three-pointers he was shooting and the rate at which he was hitting them. I don't know how much that had to do with Mike Penberthy, but if that's something he can add to his resume, that's quite the notch on his belt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely excited for the hire. Shouts to Mike Penberthy. That would have been back in like 2004. I think that he would have been that he walked into that gym. That was really nice of him. Today's show, by the way, we're going to talk. I'm sure Mike Penberthy and, uh, and other coaching hires are going to come up throughout the show. It's going to be a mailbag show. It's a money mailbag. We have a, a ton, a metric ton of questions to, to answer here. This is probably going to be split up into a few days. Uh, let's start. We'll take one question here before we throw to the break. Doc Zeller writes, reason for optimism. Uh, like Lavin with the Bruins, the criticism that Luke didn't bring in, experienced assistant coaches, handicapped him, and we saw the results on the court. This is uh, in addition to the fact that the front office didn't want him. Luke's rotation schemes for lots. So basically they're asking, how big a difference will we see just from a coaching standpoint this year going from Luke to, to Vogel? I think it's already pretty stark. Uh it depends on in what way. I think that the locker room is going to be pretty rock solid. I think you've got a lot of adults that they signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an older team. And amongst those older guys, Avery Bradley, Jared Dudley, uh, Quinn Cook, even though he's only 25 or so, those are all guys who are really well respected. Even Rondo fits under this category. So part of why last year went south is because there was some – frustration with Luke in about mid-January or so from the veterans, from JaVale, Michael Beasley, and others. And then the trade deadline, right? And everybody kind of mentally fell apart. And it wasn't 
the kids as much on that end. It was these older guys on longer term contracts, or I'm sorry, on expiring contracts. This year, we've got guys that are signed to two year deals. I think that's important and sometimes overlooked. Most of these guys, even if they are, it's their choice if they're expiring this year or not. And you've got a lot of guys who don't take any crap from people, yeah. right? Uh, you've got Lionel Hollins. Phil Handy is very much this type of guy. I, I love Phil Handy. Phil Handy is one of the like most hardened badasses yeah. in the NBA who also is really knowledgeable. He's like that perfect combination of being uh, of being technically proficient at his job and also being a, a bad MFer, you know. Yeah. And you need that. You need yeah. guys like that in a lock, especially in the locker room with LeBron James. <laughs> That's like, what I was Phil, just gonna say. Yeah, Phil Handy will step up to LeBron James. If mm-hmm. that like that's the kind of guy that he is. He will step up to him and say what needs to be said and LeBron will listen to it and that's part of the reason LeBron pines for a guy like that is like LeBron, you know, has a has a perception as being a a coach killer being the guy who's running the show. My experience not necessarily with LeBron but with like really talented people is that like they don't listen to everybody because yeah. they, and that's that's for good reason, right? But they seek out so, people to listen to. They seek out people to listen to that they respect, mm-hmm. and Phil Handy's one of those guys. From an X's and O's standpoint, I think it'll be a small upgrade for Luke from Luke uh, on the offensive end in terms of what Vogel does, but not that big of one, which is why I'm big on, hey, let's get an offensive tactician, tactician in there. Uh, I have some spacing concerns from the sets that he ran in Orlando. In Indiana, it was far long enough ago to where it was like, hey, that was conventional during that time. This is what offenses did. In Orlando, it was a little more like, hey, you're a little behind the times now. If he does what he did in Orlando with the Lakers, I'll be concerned. But he said what needs, needs to be said he's saying all the right things about making changes to that respect i'm just curious about the how now who is going to be the person that helps lead that charge tactically and in what way does vogel want to make changes himself i i really like and and actually doc seller makes this point in in the question he seems a lot more secure in his abilities than luke was Mm. Luke, that's a good point. Yeah. Luke not being being willing to, and remember, like we had, there were reports at the end of last season that the front office was frustrated that Luke Walton wouldn't bring in better uh, assistant coaches, wouldn't bring in a former head coach, right, to to come in and and kind of teach him the ropes and and, and help in that respect, uh, and and in at least. This aspect of coaching, that security, to bring in Lionel Hollins, to bring in uh, Phil Handy, who is as respected as he is, right? To I, I think they made another. What was it Quentin? Gosh darn it, I'm forgetting his name. But but they made oh yeah, Quentin Quentin Crawford for the they, video coordinator spot. Yeah, yeah. So he's just he's bringing in all these people, all these guys who have a bunch of experience, and you know it's it's wild that he's showing that security at a time where Jason Kidd is sitting there with a knife, just waiting for the the first opportunity, right? It, where where LeBron James wanted Jason Kidd there, and and Vogel is kind of accepting this, and he's I it the the formation of this coaching staff to me tells me that look. This might not work out, but if it is, if it, even if it doesn't work out, I went down doing the things that I considered right at the time, right. and, and that's something that I wish we would have seen a little bit more from from Luke Walton. He just he backs that he backed down so quickly to, to to LeBron and 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 Rondo and the team politics here that I don't know if I don't know if he was ever he ever gave himself a chance for that stuff to work out. 
it's one of those things like I, I think it was inevitable for that to happen either way. Yeah. Because he didn't have enough chops yeah. from the X's and O's standpoint, right? Yeah. So like they're gonna fill that vacuum. Guys like Rondo and LeBron are gonna fill that. And like when as soon as we came out in the one four high at the beginning, like that was the first primary set that we were running last preseason. It was like, Oh yeah, this is not great. <laughs> this is not something yeah. that NBA teams do. So either it, it was the same thing with the construction of the roster, right? Like where it was like, Oh, this is kind of weird, but let's see if it works. Right. Right. Most of the time, like you're either a genius that happens sometimes and you've discovered a new way to go about doing things that mm-hmm. other teams have not quite. But most of the time, especially one four high is not a new set. In fact, it's a very old set. Most of the time when you do something unconventional like that, it's going to fall on its face. And then yeah. it's, there's a reason that other teams don't do that. That was both in terms of the roster construction and how Luke went about his business. So I think that was natural. I'm, I want to be optimistic about Vogel and I do think Vogel's a better coach. I'm just curious about the, how offensively they're going to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick second here. And when we come back, apparently we're going to talk about the Rambi. All right. You ready for this one? I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to have a Kurt Rambis conversation, but we're about to, so it doesn't matter if I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> so Big Ricks uh, writes, why do you mock both Kurt and Linda Rambis? Are you better? Are you smarter than Dr. Buss, who handpicked a mentor for his daughter? Are you personally more experienced than Kurt Rambis? What is the difference in his experience and say, Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge, Elton Brand, etc.? Uh, thank you for the question, Kurt. Uh, we'll, we'll get to. We'll try to figure this out and, and answer this in, in a way that, that makes some sense. But <laughs> Pete, you have your hand up. <laughs> Teacher, pick me. This is the difference. Yeah. Fifteen and sixty-seven, seventeen and sixty-five, then nine and nineteen. He he. With when he was the full time head coach, that's a record of 41 and 151. <laughs> that's the difference. Yeah. So, Linda, Linda Rambis, like, I, I actually I think there's more credence to the point that Linda Rambis, like, she's been Jeannie's right hand for years, mm-hmm. right? And also, let's not act like Doc, Doc Buss, as much as I love him, didn't make mistakes. Right. Doc Buss hired Randy Fund as the friggin' coach. If right. you're old enough to remember how bad Randy Fund was, like, he made plenty of mistakes. Watching those like, teams were not fun. Right. Like, so. Just because Doc Buss picked it doesn't mean that it was necessarily right. That's true of every great person, every great great player. Kurt Rambis has had ample opportunity, both as a coach and an executive mm-hmm. in the Knicks front office. He was trying to play Chris, Chris Stapp's Porzingis at the three. At the three. Right. Like, so Linda Rambis has a long history with Jeannie. She's been competent in different roles that she's been in. Does that mean that she's a competent voice on a basketball perspective? I think it's totally fair to question that, but I know that Kurt Rambis is not good at this. Kurt Rambis has proven that he's not good at this. I would also argue that Kevin McHale isn't good at this either. If you're like, what's the difference between him and Kevin McHale, you know, like, Kevin McHale wasn't good either. Why are we comparing him to him? Ainge, I don't know if Ainge got the the had any scouting or front office position before he took that. In fact, I'll look that up right now. Um, before he took that 
that uh, job, with front job with the Celtics. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that's the difference between Kurt Rambis and those guys is that like Kurt Rambis has had the opportunity and he's failed spectacularly. He has pro I think he has the worst record in NBA history as a full-time head coach. He had an interim position with the Lakers during the 98, 99 season after they fired Del Harris and closed out that season. That was a weird year with Dennis Rodman on the team. And, and he did all right there. He was 37 and hold on. He was, 24 and 13 over 37 games. But when he's, it's been his own show to run. Like there hasn't even been signs of progress. Yes. He was with bad teams, but that's the difference, man. I, I'm sorry, man. I, I, no, I, 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 I it's so there's this thing called the appeal to experience fallacy, right? Where we just give the, the benefit of the doubt to somebody who has simply been there. And in this case, like, would you give the benefit of the doubt to the, to the captain of the Titanic? Probably not, right? <laughs> Avoid the icebergs would be my advice there, buddy. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I think just because that person was a captain doesn't mean I, you know, if I was to offer up that advice, hey, let's not speed up when you're going towards a, a, a dark waters given the lack of GPS technology back there in the middle of the winter where you know that there are icebergs. Yeah, I would probably have played that a little bit differently. And, and here with, with Kurt Rambis... Yes, he has experience, but it's all bad experience. Like, right. <laughs> that that bad experience makes it so that he's very easy to question. So, so yeah, I I understand the the inclination to consider the team that you're rooting for incapable of mistakes, or at the very least, when they make a mistake, like we talked about last the, the last the very last segment, right? The very last topic that we talked about was. When you see a team do something weird, you say, oh, they might be crazy like a fox, right? You want to be optimistic and you say, oh, it might work out. Maybe it does. But here in the case of Kurt Rambis, Linda Rambis, look, I think she became a talking point. She became a bit of a a meat shield in a way of like we are just going to lash lash out at anything that we can possibly lash out at because of how weird and how effed up the entire situation was there. So Linda Rambis, I I, I feel a little iffy talking about that. I don't know anything about her either professionally or personally. When it comes to Kurt Rambis, we do know stuff about him personally. We know what he likes on Twitter. We we know stuff. About, <laughs> we know about him professionally, right? We know what he was capable of as a, as a coach and as, as an executive. Here in this case, that's very easy to question. Experience be damned. Right. That's something that, and and maybe this is too much Lakers exceptionalism from my part, but I don't think it is, is back to my belief that the Lakers should have the best and the brightest, that they have the resources to be able to do that. On one hand, you have somebody inexperienced to be making basketball decisions in Linda Rambis. She's not had a controlling, uh, you know, voice in in that before. Even though she's been Jeannie's right hand, that doesn't mean that she's not capable of it. We just don't know. Should the Lakers be hiring and having people where you don't know if they're good at the job? I would argue no. Then in Rambis's case, we do know he's bad at it. He's been very bad at it. Should the Lakers have somebody bad at? It? No, nobody, no team should. So that's what it comes down to. Is that like the Lakers do not have experienced people who have a track record of actually being successful in the roles that they filled, and that that's the complaint. And my complaint is probably eighty percent versus Kurt and twenty percent against Linda, yes. because we all have our Linda is Ginny's best friend, and we all have when we make major decisions in even in our work life, a lot of times we're going to consult our best friend. I'm not mm-hmm. mad at that. So it's a lot more about Kurt than it is about Linda. Yep. All right, next question we have here. Uh, it's a really, really long one. 
it's basically asking it it's a form of a question that I actually find really fascinating. Basically, I would I would say I would go out on a limb and say that I think basketball produces the best overall athletes in sports. Mm-hmm. The next closest sport, I think, is football. So they're asking a, a version of that question. So, Pete, I, I just put out there that I think basketball produces the best overall athletes. Do you think who, which sport do you think would become would come second, or do you think there's a sport that comes first there? I, I do agree with that. Um, I uh, boxing is very close. Boxing or MMA, mm-hmm. um, the ability to God, you know such a workout, right? Like the the physicality of those guys. And if you wanted to argue that those guys are are ahead of basketball, you wouldn't get too much of an argument from me on that. Um, soccer is the gold standard for stamina and the ability to like soccer is freaking exhausting. Tennis is exhausting. Like I, I don't think tennis players get like, I was watching that match between Federer and Djokovic uh, last weekend. It's like a five hour match. I don't know if you've ever played tennis. Tennis yeah. is freaking exhausting. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I would put just in terms of the overall what you're asked to do, there's the jumping ability, there's speed, there's short area quickness, there's physicality to basketball that I think everybody, whereas like, you know, NFL football is a little more regimented. You're what a offensive lineman looks like yeah. is very different from a cornerback and what he's asked to do athletically. It's more of a specialized. So they're like the best of the best at that. Like the offensive linemen are way more physical than an NBA center would be. Right. Yeah. But, um, but it's more specialized. So I think in terms of overall athleticism, that's, I, I still put NBA at the top close second for the, you know, fighting the combat sports. Yeah. The, the combat sports, the thing the the aspect of, of, of football that I think kind of lacks for me is the hand-eye coordination aspect of it. Like for a cornerback, like you, you have some, you have you know some some hand play there, but you know you, swatting away a ball, you don't you don't see them be particularly great at, at catching. Right, that's why whenever right. they drop an easy interception, it's like oh, that's why he plays defense. Right, you know? right. Uh, right. But for for those fighting sports, those guys, you know, being able to to, to pinpoint a punch. When you're exhausted in yeah. like the the eighth round of a twelve round fight, like that's a that stuff is wild to me. Uh, I I also have a respect for like a, if you don't have it that night in basketball, you're gonna be okay. If you don't yeah. have it that night, like you're gonna get your friggin' brains breed in if you're in a combat sport, right? right? So there's a there's a mental aspect to that, which I know isn't under the auspices of athleticism, but it still counts for a lot in my book. Yeah, there's a great line out there where it's basically like you know I. Not me personally, but there's a a, a hypothetical person uh, goes out, works out at a, at a boxing gym a few times, and and says, "Wow, I'm I'm actually pretty good at this." And and then they say, "Well, I you know what? I want to see how competitive I can get in this." And then they face somebody who is actually competitive, and, and it, <laughs> that's a humbling experience. <laughs> do Do you have any like? Do you have any stories about? The first time you face somebody who's just like a like we all have that moment where we're like, oh, yeah, I'm not playing professionally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that just like person on a different tier. Do you so, so I was uh, for the listeners of the show that go way back know that I did a little like semi-professional boxing. I, I, I messed uh-huh, around right. a little bit. Right. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and so I was I was fighting. This was a, a fight in, in Juarez. And uh, I was I was a featherweight kind of I was really, really skinny. And I was going up against a fellow featherweight. This person gets out there. And, you know, that you every before every fight, everybody just kind of does like the, the regular, you know, you throw your punches, you warm yourself up, you dance around the ring a little bit. Uh-huh. And this dude gets out there and moves at a speed that I just I didn't consider possible. 
Like just, uh-huh. just move. <laughs> and and the first round the first round starts and this dude so it was like ding and we danced we danced we danced and then I thought I I tried to throw just like a simple jab he dives right under it levels me in my rib and and I was just like oh yeah oh. yeah this is he's he's doing a di- different sport altogether and and like I I was mid that thought right so I'm mid that thought he just he just cracked that rib. And I'm like, oh man, oh shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah, over, right, like right over the top from the opposite side, and that dude was just moving at a, at a pace. I, I went down, I stayed down. I, I like I said, semi professional. I wasn't out there trying to die. That dude, you, you, it was a humbling, humbling experience to met, go up against somebody with that speed and that power. Bro, that's a tough sport to have that moment in, man. I'm yeah. glad mine was in basketball because <laughs> I would have been curled up in the fetal position if it was boxing, man. Um, yeah. For me, it was a summer league game against Harvard Westlake against Jaron and Jason Collins. Oh, man. And they I mean, it was like in running clock territory and it wasn't just their size. It was like they were how coordinated they yeah. were. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm a short guy, so I, I didn't my, you know, NBA dreams didn't last particularly long. But that was my first like, oh, yeah, this is like none of the guys on my team are playing in the right. NBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seeing seeing those guys, especially the bigs, because you don't every so often you'll, you'll see a guard, right, who's going to make it to the NBA. And every so often you might see a wing. But when you see an NBA caliber big. An NBA caliber center, something like that. That's just yeah. th- that uh-huh. that you just you look at that and you say, how? Yeah, how what, are we the same species? Like, how did that happen? Yes. <laughs> All right, let's take a uh, let's uh, let's take a quick break here to eat a little bit more humble pie, and then we'll come back and try to try, try to recuperate for the rest of these questions. All right, so the next question, we got another coaching question here. This is from Co Boogeyman. Uh, what's Miles Simon's relationship to the Lakers, and what value does he bring as an assistant coach? Scratching my head as to why he was retained, as I thought he was an Arizona product uh, that was brought in under Luke. Uh, based on what I have kind of heard and surmised was that they needed to keep somebody in house because they had a draft pick and they were going to have those workouts and he was just kept around for that. I don't know why he's still around beyond that time though. So from being in at the facility, uh, and I always wonder about this because everybody knows when the media comes in, right? So the yeah. way that if, if for those who aren't aware that we don't see all of practice, they don't let us in for the whole thing. They let us in for usually practice is already concluded by the time they let us in. And we stand there for 10, 15 minutes and wait for the head coach to come by and then watch guys do individual workouts. Simon was always on our side of the court working with either Lonzo or Josh Hart or Sfee or just one of his guys. Each assistant under that structure had their own guys that they were assigned to and that they would work with that particular coach. And Miles Simon was one of them. That being said, Simon was the guy who I was most impressed by that uh, of of those coaches in terms of his command over the drills, over those drills serving purposes and and being applicable to in-game action. He was of the assistant coaches. He was the guy I was most impressed with. But again, that's 15 minutes as a media member. In front of a coach who absolutely knows that the media is standing there. Just the other coaches were not as assertive. They did not have that I'm I'm a coach, I'm in charge type of persona to them. So 
you're you're right that they needed a coach to stay behind to do that. But by the same token, you don't necessarily need to keep that guy beyond right. that period of time. And so there are also organizational coaches and then coaches that the coaching staff picks. Famously, we know that Jason Kidd was kind of foisted upon Vogel because the Lakers wanted him to be an assistant. Mark Madsen had that role for a very long time until he took a head coaching job in college this past offseason. Miles Simon may fit under that, you know, fit under that role as well. But I don't think Simon, because Simon wasn't there for both years. Simon was added last season, mm-hmm. whereas guys like Judd Bushler, Jesse Mermes, uh, Adam, or I'm sorry, Brian Keith, Brian Keith, right, were uh, they were there from the beginning. So, in, I, I can find out more. I can ask around about Simon's, uh, you know, in, input. But I, I do. He was a guy that I was more impressed with than those other guys. I was kind of bummed they let Keith go. Like of the of the guys on Luke's staff, he was the one who really stuck out to me as as capable at his job and had a like a bona fide resume to him, as well. So I was I was I was kind of bummed to see him go. If if there was one holdover from the staff, I would have hoped it would have been Keith, but it you know it wasn't. Uh, next question here. We can we can. This is an easy one. Iced a bunch of sixes. Uh, writes huge fan of the show. Thank you. Your daily analysis during the Quiet Mare was uh, the highlight of my workday. You're alone. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the highlight of ours. <laughs> uh, how likely is it that AD will resign in 2020? Please give a percentage. I'd put it about 90. 95. Yeah. Uh, Shush writes. Basically, uh, about the starting lineup, the lineup they propose is Avery Bradley, Danny Green, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Boogie. Uh, What do you think about that starting group? Do you think that's what we'll see on opening night? I do think that's what we'll see on opening night if I had to put money on one one of the lineups. Um, I'm okay with that. I'd prefer Caruso over Bradley, but when guys are arguably close, the veteran's almost always going to win on that. Bradley can handle the ball a little bit and the Lakers don't necessarily need a conventional point guard with all of their front court ball handling that they have. I'm okay with it. I, I need to dive into the Bradley tape because he's one of the players in the NBA that has the, one of the widest gaps between what coaches and players have to say, NBA coaches and players have to say about him versus what the data and analytics have to say. And so there's a, I, I need to dive into the tape because all I'm familiar with at this point is to, is the you know the numbers really disliking him and Clipper fans? If you want to, <laughs> oh man! If you want to piss off a Clipper fan, <laughs> which I plan on doing quite a bit yeah. this season, just just talk about Avery Bradley and yeah. about how he's going to turn it around this year. You'll just get him flocking to your mentions. It's great. Yep. Um, so I, I need to dive in on that, but and, and then. All of that depends on can Boogie get his jump shot back. That's the tape that I'm in right now is that 2017-18 footage of the Pelicans and how did Boogie and AD work together. A lot of it really stemmed from Boogie's ability to be a threat on the perimeter. You figure, you know, he's like 270, a lot more physical than AD. He's going to be the guy down low. Most of the time, he was the guy on the perimeter when when he was yeah. with AD. That's really going to be like five threes a game. He shot six threes a game. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah, he shot six threes a game at 35.4%, which is really good. That's right about league average. And that really allows the team to do a lot. If Boogie's shooting 27% like he did with Golden State, mm-hmm. then that's a really tough lineup to put on the court together. You're really going to struggle with spacing. What do you think of that lineup? I like it. I would still prefer they roll with JaVale to start the year just till we absolutely know for sure that, that Boogie is is – 
capable of a starter's workload. Even if so, a lot of times, you know, it, it's become kind of a cliche in the other direction where you say it doesn't matter who starts so much as who finishes. That starting group plays a lot, like especially as a unit. It really and, does, and and you know that's where it it does kind of matter who starts. Uh, and I would I would like to I would like to have a little bit more sure standing on where Boogie is physically before we go so far as to make him the immediate day one starter. So uh, I would I would prefer to swap out Boogie for JaVale, but I think the politics of that are going to be kind of tough. It was kind of funny. There, there was some poor guy who got yelled at a bunch on Twitter because LeBron, there was a clip of LeBron playing 2K, right? Uh-huh. And and he you know was going through the lineup that was out there, and it was Bradley, it was Green, it was AD, it was Boogie, and it was LeBron. LeBron. And the guy took from that, like, this is uh, LeBron passive-aggressively basically saying, like, who he wants starting, who, who, what team, what, what lineup he wants starting. And, you know, a bunch of people called him a clown and yelled at him and stuff. And, and I kind of sat there and I said, like, you know what? I, I kind of agree. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. The man's playing 2K. I, I kind of can't. agree. I, I kind of I, – I don't think it's, like – it's as dire. Like he painted it out to be like, if if Vogel doesn't do this, it's not get you know he's not going to stick around. Right. You know? Right. I don't, I wouldn't well, go that far, but I do think like that's how LeBron operates, man. Like he just he he does things. Everything he does is with a purpose. And I think in this case, he was like, damn, this lineup. Hey Frank. Well, if he knows, hey Fred, this is the lineup that that is going to get us. Wait, wait, wait. So you think that LeBron is sending messages to Vogel on Twitter? Is Vogel on Twitter? I think he I think he's just firing off his 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 opinion to a base that he knows is real freaking loud. Really, really loud. And that's fair. That's fair. I I don't think there's anything wrong with LeBron wanting a particular yeah, starting I lineup. I don't I don't, now, I don't yeah. It, like people, we all do, right? Like I want a particular starting lineup, right. so do you, right? Right. My I, I want to talk about the JaVale thing real quick. My one yeah. concern with starting JaVale rather than Boogie is that spacing. We know we're not gonna get that spacing yeah. from Vale. So if like can can AD and JaVale work, you know, like will you be able to get the most out of that without having a floor spacer at the five spot? That's my big concern on that. That's why I'd prefer Boogie. I, I'd get it and I, I'd like the one thing I'd like them to see is to is to not be too married to whatever starting lineup they start out with. Like let's see how they play. You've got a lot of solid to good players on this team. If if our starting lineup is not like a plus five net rating or better, maybe it's time to make some changes because the Lakers got a lot of talent that mm-hmm. they should be not beating the hell out of average teams, but you know, a decent amount better that. So I, I hope that they're not too like married to that one lineup that they start out with that. If it doesn't work yeah. out, they're willing to make some changes. Yeah, I agree that. I mean, that's just, a, that's a general point that I, it was a gripe I had with Walton, right? Mm-hmm. Remember how how the how loud the numbers were, how much better they were with Harton there than Kuzma, but they kept winning games and they just refused to it, make. It was Harton instead of Brandon, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, uh, that's right. Yeah. And and like that was just it was driving me insane. It's shocking that I would I would overreact to something like that. But it was, <laughs> but I, I would imagine you know I would hope that this upcoming year, if those numbers are similarly loud, that they can understand that while something is good, that doesn't mean it can't also get better. All right, we ended the last mailbag. Monday mailbag that you and I did on a uh, lightning round kind of thing. And this is a perfect question to do it with. So you're ready for this. Let's do it. 
The best Lakers all-time duo. They list Shaq and Kobe, Magic and Kareem, Weston Chamberlain. I'm adding Anthony Davis and LeBron to that. Uh, Shaq and Kobe slightly ahead of Magic and Kareem. I agree. I would also have LeBron and Davis ahead of Weston Chamberlain. That's, yeah, that's, I, I could get behind that. Dang, I thought you were going to get angry at me for that one. All right. Uh, no, play, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Me too. Favorite Lakers championship win? Uh, game 7, 2010. My Favorite team. is a weird word for that because that game took years off of my life. <laughs> so, like, it's funny because I don't look back on that game fondly no. in some ways. I, I know that's that weird. A painful right? like, experience. We beat the freaking Celtics, right? I should yeah. be, like, I remember just, like, my stomach was churning and then Kobe's shooting badly. And I'm like, I've defended you on message boards for the last <laughs> decade, you son of a bitch. You better win this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I, I, so Kobe gave a quote after that game that I thought pretty perfectly sum, summarized like what was going on there. They were down thirteen, I think, in the third, or was it the fourth? Even uh, it was in the third, the early part of the third quarter. They were down by thirteen. He, he goes like, "We were down by thirteen in the third quarter," and I just thought to myself, "There's no effing way this is happening uh-huh. right now. There's no <laughs> way this is happening." It's one of my favorite Kobe games because it really embodied that, like, by any means possible thing about Kobe that is my favorite part about Kobe. That's why I don't I don't like getting into the, you know, greatest of all time debates and all that. It was just like Kobe and and by no means was he alone on this, but. 15 rebounds yeah. generated like he had like 15 free throw attempts. He got one of the big parts of that game was uh, the Celtics were out of fouls with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And he drew either by his own, you know, drawing contact or drawing a second defender and putting a teammate in an advantageous position. He drew like three or four of those fouls to yeah. get them out, uh, out of foul. So it was just this, like, I know my shot isn't falling. I'm just going to do whatever I can. He was playing great defense. Uh, just all of it was just like, I'm going to will this to happen. That's why it makes it one of my favorite Kobe games, even though he shot six for 24. But during that game, my God, that was awful. I also vividly remember being really effing angry at Rasheed Wallace. Oh, yeah. He played really well in that he game, right? Really like, effing. That's why, yeah. like, when Doc says, oh, well, right. Kendrick they, they Perkins, with come Kendrick. on. Yeah, come Kendrick on. Perkins would have gone out there and dropped a 20 and 10. Sure thing, Doc. Ugh. They they might not have gotten as killed on the offensive boards as they did in that yeah. game, but they would have suffered. They certainly wouldn't. He wouldn't have been out there behind the three point line the way Wallace was and right. posting up, hitting them, turn around, bank shot, yeah. seventeen footers. You know, it was like a, it was like a throwback Rasheed Wallace game that I was so angry at while it was happening because he used to he used to kill the Lakers when he was in Portland and in Detroit. Ah, God. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree about about that one. That that title was incredible. Uh, beating the Celtics after they they just, just I remember I think it was yeah it was Game Six they beat the Lakers by like forty and mm-hmm. and you know that still leaves a, a, a bad taste in my mouth they doused Doc and Gatorade on the court uh, I just I they had the KG every anything is possible thing Paul uh-huh. Pierce was happy which always really sucks um, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah getting getting back at them and winning in 2010 was was incredible. Is, I, somebody said this on Twitter. I can't tra- take credit for this, but this is freaking brilliant. Has anybody ever gotten more mileage out of one title than the 2008 Boston Celtics? No. 
No. You'd act like they were friggin' dynasty. They won right. one title, which is probably a disappointment. KG got hurt the next year, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, just the way they act about the, I don't know. Anyway, you know, no, I, I agree. Celtics, so I yeah. agree. It's, it's, it, people always give Lakers fans a hard time for Lakers exceptionalism, but Boston exceptionalism, fucking New York exceptionalism is even worse. It's yeah, at so least there's worse. a reason for it. Like, I've been yeah. like 10 freaking titles. Yeah, I got a. A little bit of arrogance to me. Pardon me for that, you know. <laughs> uh, Jesus. All right. So next question. We got. We got to. You got to be. All I'm saying is you got to be. You got to be 80 years old to be a Boston Celtic fan who talks shit to me. Yeah. That's all I'm saying with this. You got to right. be about 80 years old. Otherwise, ask your friggin' grandpa about. And then in it. that. And then so in that case, the Celtics, they probably have some problematic politics to them. If you're an 80 80 year old Celtics fan. Well, all right. Yeah. Um, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Me too. Although. Mountain Dew belongs in is 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 underrated, and it's a Pepsi product. All the okay. other Coke products are better though. Uh, what's your Lakers? I it's not Mount Everest. What's the, Mount Rushmore? Your Lakers Mount Rushmore. Oh man, Chick Hearn. Oh, good one. Jerry West, Magic Johnson, and Kobe Bryant. And there is no way I could come to four like. Dr. Buss should be on there. Yeah. I was going to I was going to swap out Kobe for Dr. Buss probably. Yeah, Kareem should be on there with all that he did for this franchise. It's like it's impossible and you know, you could be mad about there's like seven or eight people that belong on that, but th- yeah. those are my four. I would extend Mount Rushmore is what I would. Right, yeah, that's right. Build another yeah, carve something else out. Give him a second row. Um all right, so I would agree about Chick. I would throw Dr. Buss there. I would keep Jerry West there. And I actually disagree with what I said earlier. I would probably oof, man. Yeah. I would I would take off Magic and put Kobe there because of Magic's recent run uh, mm-hmm. recently. I can't I can't you know, if, if we're if we're splitting hairs here as far as all-time greatness and things that they've done for the organization. Kobe staying away while Magic came in and was an absolute tire fire has to be taken into account. That's fair. That's fair. I, I think that... I mean, Magic and Bird's impact on the sport, yeah. which I know is not Lakers, mm-hmm. but that that's hard to overstate. And then Magic coming into a team like the Lakers between seventy-five and eighty were kind of stuck in this not good enough to win a title, but not bad enough to you know no, tanking wasn't really a thing back then. But mm-hmm. they were just kind of in this purgatory. And Magic, you know, as a rookie, twenty years old, putting up forty-two and fifteen, I think it was in the finals, and yeah, forty-two, fifteen, and seven, I think is his. Line and, and was just you know incredible throughout that year and was a, a superstar really early on not just on the court but he was like he's the first person you think of when you think of Showtime and that's a you know five NBA titles over the course of the decade I just I just couldn't take Magic off even with this recent run I get where you're coming from uh, but that's why both Magic and Kobe are on there for me we both kind of screwed up not mentioning Bill Sharman I don't think he's to that level. I well, so he he played a role in putting together that Showtime team too. He did, right? Uh, which which I don't think a lot of people quite know about. He uh, won. He helped the the West era Lakers get over the hump and, and win a title there. Uh, that was that was a really important thing because remember the Celtics owned the Lakers in the in the titles in in final series to that point. Um, 
I will. I mean, we can hold it against Charmin that he came from the Celtics, which which you know makes it tough. And uh, yeah, I would I would probably put him in. I I would agree that he's only an honorable mention. I don't think he belongs in like the in that. But I just he has to be mentioned here. And we we haven't even mentioned George Mikan, who is the yeah. NBA's first superstar, yeah. right? So that just speaks to who the Lakers have had. Right. You got to choose. Right. If you got it. Right. Byron Scott. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got okay. So we got a couple more. Wow, there's a lot of questions here. Uh, death by fire or drowning? Jesus, this is a, I answer all these questions, dude. Drowning? I think fire. I would go fire because if it's fire, you can inhale all the smoke and you knock out. Okay, okay, I'll go with that. It's quicker, right? It's more yeah. painful, but it's quicker. Yeah. I'm scared to death of drowning, so yeah. But fire is right up there. Yeah, yeah, I'll go. It's, I'll go it's, it's not great either way. Yeah. Uh, what's your What's the worst Lakers game loss that you can remember? Game four of the 2008 Finals. The Lakers were up by like 24 points at home, and they blew that lead to that you know uh, that KG that title yeah. team. I was gonna that say was. I was dating this girl. It didn't last very long. And we, like, she had been talking all types of crap about that. She was a Pistons fan, I think, uh, but was rooting for the Celtics, oddly, uh, in, in that just to, I think, give me shit. And uh, she called me after that game and like I answered, but I didn't say hello. And there was like 10 seconds of just like awkward silence because she didn't say anything either. She was like. I'm so sorry. I can't even like, I can't even talk crap about that one. I know how you guys feel about this. So that, that for me was just like the biggest gut punch was that blown lead. How about you? It's a, well, so I w- I'll say the same game. That was going to be my answer. Originally. I remember vividly Ray Allen being isolated against Sasha Vujicic at the top of the key. And that basically iced the game. Uh-huh. Uh, eh, yeah, he got right by him. It was not even, it was not even, a contest from from Sasha there. Uh, I also want to throw the Tim Thomas game in there because the Lakers were that close to knocking off those Steve Nash sons. Mm. Uh, remember, he he got that shot. He pump faked. Mm-hmm. I forget who it was. Flew by him. I was uh-huh. it? Who was it? I forget who it was. Might have been Lamar. I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah Kobe, Kobe had 50 in that game. Yeah, I think. and and he, I think he hit that three to send it in overtime, and then the Lakers uh-huh. lost in overtime. That was great a, ball on that. That was a tough one. Like for me, that one was kind of house money. So they them blowing that three one lead. Like it sucked, but. The Suns were so much more talented than the Lakers that That's what it makes felt it like so much worse to me though. Does it okay that they yeah, almost had that big upset? Sure. Cuz I get it. I mean I spent so much time hearing about how great Steve Nash was for the sport and how he played the right way, oh, the white God. way uh-huh. compared uh-huh. to Kobe and right. and yeah. oh my god, it would it would it was so nauseating and Kobe was this close to knocking him off, but Tim Thomas hits that three-pointer. And I remember when Lamar, yeah, it was Lamar who flew by him. You just saw him shoot it, and you're just like, oh, no. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, all right, we got two more here. Uh, Doritos or Lay's? Doritos. Me too. I agree. Uh, though original Lay's with the with Louisiana hot sauce on them is, is pretty tough to beat. Oh, that's good. Um, all right, last one. If the Clippers were to face off against the Celtics this year in the finals, who do you root for? The Clippers, of course. Kind of question is this? The Clippers have been our little brother for like the entire time, mm-hmm. and, and like, look, it would suck to have a different team in LA doing that. The Celtics are our blood. 
How many rants that do I have to like, go on on this puts show? Them one more finals away from being passed up. Right. Like the score right now is 17 to 16 in the score that matters the most. I don't know how many rants I need to go on to express how my hatred of the Celtics and the degree to which that eclipses everybody else combined, how I yeah. feel about every other team in the league. Yes, it's the friggin' Celtics at in 17 16. Uh, I would add, so I would root for the referees. Go rest in those games. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got this. Um, I would. So the the other thing to add to this aspect of of the Celtics winning, like this specific Celtics team, would be we would get nonstop Brand, Brad Stevens takes right where he gets Danny all the credit Ainge. instead of the players because he's this guru who understands. Danny Ainge understands how basketball is supposed to be played. Right? Screw all these. These these spoiled superstars who who care uh, about loyalty, you know, like it would just be so nauseating if this specific Celtics team was to was to win a championship this year. I can't I can't even think I can't fathom. I would have to step away for the entire offseason or else I would probably lose my Twitter account. Yeah, I, I don't think it would go over very well. No. All right. That'll do it for this episode. It's a longer episode of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Dude, I so we started today is the 21st. We go back all the way to, well, because I answered a few questions earlier. We started at July 15th for the all the questions that came in. Guess where we're at? July 17th? 15th. Jesus. All right. Well, thank you for all of the questions. Give me on another mailbag because we don't. Yeah. Apparently, the listeners are better at this than we are. Of like, what are we going to talk about today? They know. Let's just let the listeners produce the show for the for the rest of this summer. I think that I'm, it'll, I'm cool it'll make everyone it. happy. I'm cool with it. David, still pay me though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you everybody for your questions. We'll be back at it again tomorrow, where I continue to, to, to rip through this mailbag. We'll probably be able to answer some of these for Wednesday's show too. To be completely honest. So for now, have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's. We'll talk to you tomorrow.